Right, Maggie, we just want you to relax. It's just a wee tete-a-tete -tete with the three of us, so just forget about everybody else out there, okay? So, Maggie, you are one of three, um, a brother and a sister, and you grew up in a wee town just outside Bushmills, so if you detect a little accent, that's where it comes from. Um, and growing up was quite a normal childhood. Um, went to church, went to Sunday school the odd time, um, then at 15, you had quite a dramatic life-changing event happen in your family. Do you want to tell us what that was and how that affected what you were then going to do? Yes, well, I uh, was brought up <clears throat> in the country, so my parents were very strict. Um, and we had a, a lovely, you know, childhood, but it was, we were... They were very, very strict. Um, and at 15, um, I arrived in from school one day, and my dad says... Um, me and your mum something to tell you um, we're separating now this was really hard because my mum and dad had never in my whole life argued in front of us so it was such a big shock um, and within a week um, we had packed up and we were in our new home so it was really really hard um, the, the dramatic change after that was obviously because we were brought up very strict we just now had one parent ruling the roost so kids, as being kids, like to, you know, step out a little bit and um, maybe be a wee bit mischievous. I went the whole hog um, and I decided to go out all night, not come home, um, drinking, smoking, um, and not really thinking that I was hurting my mum. Then um, one thing led to another and um, I ended up running away from home and ended up living in a shelter in Coleraine. And am I right in saying, um, just because we've had a wee chat with you during the week, um, there was one member of your family that made a comment to you that stuck in your mind and affected a lot of what went on to shape your life? Yes, because, <clears throat> again, coming, being brought up in a small community, um, it, was deemed that I'd brought, <clears throat> excuse me, it was deemed that I'd brought shame to the family by running away from home. And uh, one uncle said to me, she is nothing and she will never be nothing. So um, that has been my driving force all my life or holding me back in other ways, I, I could say. So that comes on to just discouraging you from the start at a very vulnerable age. And we were talking about that this morning. Now, I know things picked up for you. Um, and eventually you met a lovely man and you got married and you had a beautiful daughter, Abby, and you moved down to this neck of the woods, God's own country. No, that's Balamina. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you dipped in and out of church, just here and there. Um, and then, unfortunately, your marriage split up. Yeah. So how did that impact your life? It was horrific, um, because obviously, having left home at such a young age, whenever I met Wesley, his mum and dad, even Ernie, became my mum and dad. Um, and Ernie was like my best friend. Um, so whenever my marriage broke up, I, I didn't just lose my husband, but I lost my whole family. Because with breakups and marriages, lots of stuff happen and lots of things get messy. And um, it was awful because I really, really missed them. But Wesley was their son. And there was lots of things that people didn't know, um, and it, it was just a really, really tough time, and I felt really lonely. 
I then moved out, got a house with me and Abby. Abby was only three at the time. Um, I got myself into so much debt, it was unbelievable. Um, and I couldn't see a way out. I just couldn't see a way out. But being, as my mother would say, stubborn, I prefer the word determined. Um, I, was, I would do it on my own, I didn't need anybody. I was gonna show the world that I could make it on my own. So I would never ask anybody for help. So it got really, really bad and the days were really dark and I can remember driving down to White Rock um, and my aim was to get out of the car and walk into the loch. And I thought that would be the best solution. Um, and I'm ashamed of it now because Abby was only three and I'd be leaving her without her mummy. But at that time, it was just really, really dark and I thought that was the best option. Um, I couldn't get the car door open. Um, and I can remember hitting the steering wheel going, I can't even do that right. Um, and then I just drove back home just crying. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And a couple of days later, it was Sunday and I um, went to church. And again, I wasn't really going to the church for the right reasons. I was going because it had been my church when I was married and nobody was going to put me out of it. Um, and I can remember sitting in church that Sunday and just crying. And it was one of those Sundays when you don't even have a tissue. And I had to wipe my nose and my sleeve. <laughs> and I couldn't stop the tears. And it was Cumber Methodist and it's a tiny, tiny church. And I sat the third row from the front. And I thought, how am I ever going to get out of this church without anybody seeing me? And I couldn't stop crying and I prayed and I prayed and said, God, please just bring my family back. Um, and I knew my marriage was over and I'd accepted that, but I just wanted my family back. And as I was leaving the church, I had my head down and Eva, bless her, used to call everybody wee dear. And she grabbed my arm and she went, are you all right, wee dear? But me being determined, shrugged my shoulders back and goes, yes, there's just something in my eye. And I waltzed, uh, waltzed home and... I, Life went on that day. I was hoovering the stairs, and the next thing the phone rang, and it was Ernie, my father-in-law. Now, I don't know what he said. I don't know what the conversation was, but I set the phone down, and I dropped to my knees and asked Jesus into my life because he had answered my prayers. That's wonderful to hear, Maggie. Um, and Eva was your mother-in-law, isn't yeah. that right, who mm -hmm. had asked you that on the way out? So both of those people played a significant part, even though you had lost them. You'd cried out to God to bring your family back. And he did. And your prayer was answered that day. He did indeed. Tremendous. So you've committed your life to God in the privacy of your own home. Did you have flashing lights? Did it come up on the wall? you're my child, anything like that. And in the days and weeks and months afterwards, was there any, how did you find it all transforming there in your nothing. life? So I did feel calmer and I felt a bit relieved, but I still wanted to do all the things that I'd done before I got saved. So I still smoked, I still drank, I still wanted to go clubbing. And um, all those things that I had done before that, I still wanted to do. And I can remember saying to Eva, but I like going to the pub. I enjoy my cigarette. And she just said to me, Maggie, one day you will not want to do those things. And she was, it was so true. Now, it's been a long journey, but slowly but surely, bit by bit, those things that I love doing just disappeared. So you're a single mum with Abby. And along comes your, comes your knight in shining armour, sitting down there tonight. Along comes, along comes Jared. And you fell madly in love. Mm -hmm. 
and decided to get married for a second time. And I know that your heart's desire was to have another child. Can you tell us a wee bit about all of that? Well, I wanted to have an, another baby and um, it wasn't happening really. Um, nothing was happening, so uh, my husband is so supportive, it's unbelievable. Um, and I said, well, look, I'm going to follow my dream and I'm going to open up my own business. And uh, I prayed and I prayed about it. And I said, God, open the doors, get me the bank loan, all these different things. And every door opened. And on the day I was signing for the lease of the shop, um, I found out I was pregnant. So I'd left a secure job to have this shop and not sure how it was going to be. But um, we had, we called it Red. It sold ladies and men's designer clothes. And um, <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely loved having the shop. And it was going really good for about a year and a half. And then recession hit. And everything went pear-shaped. Um, I felt so guilty because obviously I had brought this on my family. Um, I had this baby. Um, and um, we nearly lost our home. Um, we didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. Um, and I just couldn't understand why God had opened all these doors. And then he was closing all these doors. Um, and I can remember crying out, even just sitting in the shop, just crying out, going, why are you doing this to me? But when I reflect back now, I wasn't doing it for God's glory. I wanted the glory. I wanted to say, this is mine. I've succeeded. Look, I've done it. It wasn't for God's glory. It was for my own glory. Did this come back to your uncle saying, you'll never come to anything? It did. Mm -hmm. And that was that whole thing. I could say, look, this is mine. Um, I've done all this. But it wasn't. I was doing it for the wrong reasons. So where did you move to work after that? I moved to work at Excel in Newtonards. And that's when I met the lovely Gemma. And she was, she'll be really embarrassed because she's here tonight. She was the first young Christian I had ever met. Um, I didn't actually believe they existed. Um, so I was super excited. Um, and then she told me that William and Gillian, who own Excel, were both Christians as well. So it was brilliant because actually you could go to work every day and you could ask questions. Um, I could relate to them because they were young. Um, and it was really, it was a great place to work, um, knowing that you could be quite open with your faith. And it was actually because of William and Gillian that they then said to me, why didn't you go to Dundonald Dillon? Because I felt in my own church I wasn't growing. And they said, why didn't you go to Dundonald Dillon? There's loads of young um, Christians in that church. So um, that brought me here. Tremendous. Okay, so after a period of time then, you left Excel and... The mighty George at Asda came knocking. Um, you were an area manager for three years, and then you became a regional, divisional, divisional sorry, I have to give her a title, <laughs> divisional manager mm -hmm. um, for the past four and a half years, which has required you to be away from home quite a lot. Yes. Um, I'm sure you're fed up with Flybee and their delays. Fly maybe, I like to call them. <laughs> um, yes, my, my week consisted of six o'clock at my desk on a Monday, half four up on a Tuesday, fly to England, home on a Thursday night, and then back at my desk at six o'clock on a Friday morning. Um, my four and a half years were agenda-driven. Um, every day it was really, really busy. Okay, and it's fair to say, Maggie, um, fashion is hugely important to you. Um, your job is hugely important to you. 
Um, you are very career-driven. But what determined, sorry, <laughs> what impact did your job have on home life and what has been happening sort of pre-Christmas time? It, it impacted quite a bit. Now, my husband is very good. You know, he does all the cooking, um, looks after Jacob, does the shopping. Um, I just roll in and say, what's for tea? Um, so he is very, very good. So he's very supportive, but I couldn't do anything because everything was just a Saturday and Sunday. So I missed out on meeting my friends. I missed out being able to do anything in church. So there's lots of things I missed out on. And I also, because my days were so long and so packed, I found that I was fitting in wee bits and pieces of time with God and I wasn't really able to spend quality time. And then last year, I um, hadn't been well. Um, and when I was off, I was able to spend some quality time reading, listening. Um, and it brought me down that road, is this what I want out of life? Um, and I never, ever thought I would ever consider stepping down. Um, I, I thought that was never on my agenda. Um, and I did think, I'll start, I will step down. And <clears throat> anyway, I, as I recovered and started feeling better, I kept thinking to myself, well, I feel better now, so maybe I won't step down. I'll just keep driving on. But I went to the Vineyard Church um, for the women's conference. Never been to a ladies' conference before, so I was praying that God was going to do amazing things for me. And I asked him to really speak to me and tell me, what should I do? Should I step down or should I, you know, keep on this, um, this path? And uh, we were just sitting, I was sitting having a chat with my cousin and this lady just came over to me and um, introduced herself and I didn't know her from Adam. And she says, um, I've got, I have a word for you. So I sort of like stared at her and um, didn't really know what she was going to say. And she said, you have a decision to make about business or you've made that decision and God says he's going to walk with you every step of the way. Now, by that stage, I was crying, obviously. <laughs> um, and I looked at my cousin, Patricia, and she said, how much more, you know, do you need? Um, and the lady, Havila, that was talking at that conference that weekend, she talked about, you know, your... Um, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting the word. I'm like, you, you know, you, you need to start at your kitchen table. Your ministry started at your kitchen table. And I thought, well, how can I minister at the kitchen table if I'm never sitting at it? So that then kept going through my head. So went to bed that night, got up the next morning, and Glynis likes to have a lie-in in the morning. So I was up first. And uh, I was downstairs, and Glynis came down, and I went, right, Glynis, I've made a decision. And she says, what is it? And I says, I think I'm going to step down. And she just looked at me, gave me that teacher stare, and she went, sorry. And I went, no, 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 I am going to step down. And she goes, that's my girl. So up home I came, I walked into the house and I said to my hubby, I said, look, I've made the decision, I'm going to step down. And he said, well, if you're sure, that's fine. I said, look, you know, it'll be a huge pay cut. And he goes, Maggie, we've had nothing before and we'll manage, we'll be fine. And I walked upstairs and I said to Jacob, mommy's got something to tell you. And um, he says, what is it? And I went, mommy's going to step down and she's going to be at home every night. And he just stood up and started crying and gave me the biggest hug. So I knew then, I didn't need any more confirmation. I had made um, the right decision. That's brilliant, Maggie. Um, so we've got the, the, that's December 2017 over. And we've into the first month of January 2018. And everything's looking rosy, or is it? Well, no, because on the 15th of January, I got made redundant. 
So um, on the 12th, I'll tell you the story, because on the 12th of January, um, I got a phone call. I was driving to Antrim, and I got a phone call from a boss. And he said, um, or the um, rescheduling or the restructure packages came through when you were going to restructure. Um, I'm going to fly in and talk to you. Well, nobody flies in from England to talk to you to give you a pay rise. So I knew <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't good. So that weekend was really, really hard. Um, and I did a lot of crying and I did a lot of praying. And on the Sunday morning, I woke up and it was about a quarter to six. And all that came to my head, and I had to write my notes because I was told from a very clever lady to journal how I felt from that Friday right through so I could look back. So I did journal and I'm glad I did. And on that Sunday, I woke up and in my head was, do not be afraid, I am with you. And I was like, right, God, well, if you're with me, right, okay. And I went downstairs and I got one of those Google mini things for Christmas that you speak to and it speaks back. And, and I said, hey, Google, play me some Christian songs. And I don't know the name of the song, but it came up, don't lose hope, he's got your hand. Don't lose hope, he knows your name. When everything is falling apart, don't lose heart. So I thought, I am hanging on that. That's what I'm going to hang on. And then I came to church, and I didn't even cry that day, which was a blessing. Um, and the next day, which I like to call D-Day, was the 15th of um, January. And that morning, I woke up one o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep, so I got up at four. And I just sat downstairs, and I prayed for wisdom. I prayed for courage. I prayed that God would guide me. Whatever was going to be would be fine. And then these were a few verses that a few friends had sent to me, and they really helped me that day. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. My paths are straight and narrow, but you shall have no difficulty finding them if you watch me. Forget the former things. See, I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness. And I just sort of kept talking those through me as I drove to Antrim, and I was supposed to be there at half eight, but I like to be early, so I was there at half seven. And I just thought, just get it, go in and get it over and done with. And I, I walked in and my boss was sitting there and um, he was going, right, you know, let me talk you through the structure. And as it stands, I would have nine regional managers would report into me. That was going down to six. So I was more worried what had happened to them. Were they going to be all right? Um, so he talked me through all that. And he says, it is now only going to be six. And I'm like, right, well, if it's only, only six, I'm not going to be able to step down then. So that's out of the question. And he says, let's talk about you. So I was like, brace yourself, Maggie, brace yourself. And he says, um, your role, Maggie, as divisional manager for ASDA is still there. Um, nothing changes there apart from your terms and conditions. And I was like, right. And he went, you now need to be in England Monday to Friday. And I was like, well, I can't do that. And at that stage, the tears were rolling down my, my face. And I was like, going, I can't do that, Mark. And then on the other hand, he slid across and he goes, well, there's your redundancy package. So I went, right, okay. But you do have seven days to think about it. <laughs> so that was, that, that was it then. That was the, um, that was the, the end of ASDA, really. So that's where you're at right now. Um, no job, and you're still smiling. And why would that be? Well, I prayed really hard about it, and on the days, my husband bought me this journal for Christmas, and um, I never really looked at the verses on the corner of them, but on the day that I found out that I was having the conversation, the first at the top was, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And on the 17th, which was the day I cried my last tear over Asda, it was, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
So I believe that God is saying, Maggie, you know, I've dried your tears. I am with you. I will be here to guide you. Just rest in this place. Um, I have a real peace. I don't think I should have. I think I should be really nervous and panicking about getting a job, but actually I'm not. I have a real peace. I believe God will guide me um, in whatever direction that's going to be. I have no idea. Maybe it's time to hang up the high heels and do something different. I have no idea um, what that direction is that God wants me to be in, but I'm just going to wait and see what he wants me to do. Maggie, that's um, just listening to you tell your story, it's very evident that you can see God's hand through every wee stage, you know, um, from running away from home um, and your, your uncle having such an impact on his comment um, to then the business. And I know during the week when we had talked about this, you had said at that time that you had trusted God and you knew he would provide and you told that to Jardy. And we're now almost back at the same scenario again you don't know what the future holds, but you have history to look back on to know that God will provide for you. Hey, and I just want to speak that over you for the future. God will provide for you. He is with you and he has amazing plans for you. So keep referring to your verses that you have there because he has given those to you to plant deep inside you um, as to what the future holds. We'll all wait with bated breath to see. Thank you. But it is great to be here with you, and um, it's a real joy. It's always a pleasure to come to Dundonald. It's a special place uh, in my heart. Made great friends here. It's fantastic. But we've came tonight to speak about him. The help of man goes so far, and then it's impossible. There comes a point when a doctor will say, that's, can't do anymore. There'll come a point where the strength of man will fail. You see, we believe in the supernatural. I believe, no, that doesn't take away responsibility. I believe all men, young and old, every man and woman, should do everything possible. And then God will do the impossible. But I want to speak to you tonight. I've got a, a sermon title from you, for you, it's just simply this, it's never a waste. And if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, I'm going to start from verse 3. I'll try and speak up a bit tonight because somebody said this morning as well they couldn't hear me. I thought that's an unusual thing. So that, well, that's a blessing. Can't hear you, they said, so hope you can hear me up the top there. <clears throat> but I want to talk to you tonight, simply this sermon, it's called, It's Never a Waste, from Mark 14, starting from verse 3. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the Leopard, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, Made from pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying angrily to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wage. Listen to that. 
It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That was two and a half thousand years ago. And I'm preaching about her tonight, so God's true to his word. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They, d- they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportune time to hand him over. It's an incredible picture of absolute love and devotion to Jesus Christ. And you know, you don't really give God, Jesus, the full devotion that he deserves until you truly know what he's done for you. It's not until you see your own wretchedness, your own rottenness, your own sin, that you actually come to a place where you bow at his feet and say, I owe you my very life because you gave your life for mine. It doesn't matter if you're a drug addict. It doesn't matter if you were brought up in a nice home. I'll tell you, everybody's dirty inside until they're cleansed and forgiven by Jesus Christ. Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody has missed the mark. Everybody. Nobody's missing it. Doesn't matter if you're dressed up in a suit and your face is washed with dads and you look great or you're sitting in a gutter. It really doesn't matter. It's the heart. And when I read about this woman, I thought, what in her heart caused her to pour out that much sacrificial love and devotion to Christ? What would make her give everything? I can only presume that she knew he was Jesus, the Son of God, and that he had done something incredible for her. She must have. Because, you know, you, just, you don't pour your love on anybody, do you? It's a picture, actually, how sinners should come to him and how his people should come to him. It's a picture of this woman's belief system, her value system, that the person sitting in front of her was more valuable than anything she had. It's an act of worship that not only when she broke the alabaster jar, not only did it fill the room, it filled the whole of heaven, got the attention of angels, got the attention of God. What was happening on earth was getting heaven's attention. Her motive must have added to the value because this is a kind of love that it doesn't measure sacrifice. It seems to me she was pouring this out. You'll you need to just stay with me as we plod through this for a minute. He said that she would be told, she would be remembered all over the world. It says that she's done what she could. And this kind of oil was, was took from the root of a plant and it was crushed and it was crushed and it was crushed until it lit off a fragrance and it squeezed this oil out. And she had saved us a year's wage And you know the oil, the oil could have been used for many things. 
a year's wage. That's some wage. That's a lot of sacrifice right there. That's a lot of giving. A year's wage. When I read that, I was like, wow, what kind of love is this? What kind of sacrifice? What kind of worship is this? It could have been, it could have been used for many things. She could have spent it on herself. That's what a lot of people do with their life. It's all about them. It's all about me. Everything revolves around me. She could have given Jesus half and kept half for herself. She could have given half to her and half to her friends. It was an act of humility. But it amazes me, and this is where I want to really start preaching tonight as I just lay this foundation. It said that Judas was there. Actually, Judas' heart got revealed in this. It was probably Judas that said this. And you know, this is the heart of Judas. This is the carnal attitude. It's a worldly attitude. Judas is saying, that's a waste. That is a waste. You're absolutely wasting a year's wage on Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, he was going to sell him for a third of that. He was going to betray him for a third of what she was pouring on him. And he said, it's a waste. And you young people here tonight, and it looks like your friends are having a ball and everybody's got a boyfriend and everybody's just doing the same old thing and drinking and smoking and going with boys and they look at you. I want to tell you, when they look at you, let me tell you, it's not a waste following Jesus Christ. It's not a waste. They'll tell you, you're wasting your youth, you're wasting your time. Relax, chill out. But I want to tell you, it's never a waste following Jesus. Young men and women, I want to tell you, it's the gutsiest thing in the world following Jesus Christ. It's never a waste. They'll laugh at you, they'll mock at you, but I want to tell you, it'll never be a waste. You're wasting your time serving God. You could be doing so much more with your time. You could be making more money. You could be doing much more. You could be a better influence over here. You're wasting your time. Because you know what? Here's the problem. They don't know what we know. They don't, they've not seen what we've seen. They've not felt what we felt. If they knew what we knew, they would serve them too. I've got something the world can't give and the world can't take it away. Hallelujah. Sorry for getting excited. It's just that I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm talking about our Savior here. I mean, come on. I'm not trying to pump you up. I'm not trying to make it happen. I want the Holy Ghost to do that, but I want you stirred. I'm here to tell you, it's not a waste serving Jesus Christ. Through hell or high water, it's not a waste. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your money. You're wasting your talent. I'll tell you it's a waste. It's a waste of time getting drunk, taking drugs and sleeping about. It's a waste of time looking for satisfaction. Oh, well, you know, once I get married, I'm going to be fulfilled. <laughs> I'm only saying, why is everybody laughing? Once I get kids, I'm going to be really happy. 
only to discover you have no right to put that level of pressure on somebody. Because deep down, nobody can give you that level of happiness but Christ alone. Not a wife, not a man, not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not a child. And I embrace them all and I thank God for them all. But there's only some things. Remember the man, he built bigger barns. Nothing wrong with building bigger barns. That's not what he got rebuked for. The man was obviously a worker. The man was a visionary. The man was working ahead. He was leaving something for his family. God never rebuked him for that. What he rebuked him for, he said, and I don't think Jesus used his words lately, you fool. You prepared for everything but your soul. You, pre you prepared everything for your family but the spirituality. He says, this is his words, you fool. This very night, wasted your life. What a waste. He forgot about the one thing that mattered. As I said, they never rebuked him for doing that. Nothing wrong with success. God blesses, be successful, go for it, build bigger barns, but remember your soul. Remember Christ. Remember who gave you the breath in your lungs and why you're living. I'll tell you what's a waste. Sitting in churches that are full of legalism and religion and the worship goes no further than the roof and there's no hope. The preaching is nothing more than, you know, three, three, three little principles to make your life better. I'm not against it, by the way. Don't get me on that. You know what I mean? And I'm not against having a few pictures up in PowerPoint, but to be honest with you, the day and age we live in and the state the world's in, we need to bring the power and get to the point. And, he, and, and here's a bridge in how we walk over it. I'm like, I'm going through hell right now. I am going through hell right now. I've got an enemy on my back. Somebody give me something that's going to make me think this is totally worth it this week. Somebody speak into my life and give me the power of God that's going to let me go up Monday morning and go, man, this is the day the Lord has made. The enemy came in like a flood, but the Holy Ghost came in and raised up a standard. Hallelujah. This is not a waste. It's a joy to serve you, Jesus. I heard a man stand up in a conference once and he said, well, I heard the story. Got convicted there. I heard the story. <laughs> he said, I remember when I was a young man, God told me to give up everything. I had a little X-Reg Fiesta. It was a rush bucket, but it was all I had. God told me to get away, and I gave it away. And since I gave it away, 30 years later, top businessman, two houses in Acapulco. I'm paraphrasing it a bit. Top of the house in Glasgow. Two houses in Malibu. A Jag and a few other cars. And somebody from the back of the conference shouted, I dare you to do it again. <laughs> I dare you. 
I dare you to do it again. I'll tell you what's a waste. Whereas churches where you can't even lift your hands, you're so bound. And the Bible talks about lifting your hands. Remember when you first got saved, you wanted to lift your hand. Remember how hard it was? You were so conscious of yourself, you were standing there. And the music was going, you got you know, you're like, oh, right, this is a big day, this is a mo- I'm doing it today, I'm doing it, I'm going for it. <laughs> you're, give, you're giving it a wee bit of that, because, you know, the Pentecostal hop, you're giving it a bit of that. <laughs> and then you kind of, you know, <sighs> and it's like, freedom! <laughs> Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, remember the first time you danced, but you couldn't, you kind of couldn't get it right. <laughs> you went home, you thought, I need, to, I need to get this. I've got it, I've got it. I just need to go to church like all the way into the car, you were giving it that. It's a waste when you're in a church and nobody can lift their hands and say, thank you, Jesus. But it's just points, motivational speaking. We can all do wonderfully well without any pain. If you just read my book, you're going to have an amazing life in this bubble that doesn't exist. There's no challenge, there's no joy, there's no peace. It goes no further than the roof. There's no faith, no expectation. This is the way we go to church. We all come down, we all fall down, we all get up, we all go Monday again. No, we're living in the spirit. We're living in the supernatural. This is meant to be a victorious Christian life. We don't cry like the world. We don't grieve like the world. We have a God in heaven who's mighty that with God all things are possible to him who believes. Hallelujah. If you don't like my style, listen to the message. If you don't like the style, honestly, please listen to the message. It's a waste. But as a church and there's no power to heal the brokenhearted. You're sitting in the congregation, your heart is absolutely smashed to a thousand bits and there's no oil for healing. No hope for tomorrow. Just a couple of principles and, but no power. Don't want to rock the boat. Don't want to risk anything. Don't want to step out in faith. Just in case it doesn't work. Well, let me put it another way. What if it does work? What if God does turn up? What if you do get healed? I'm not giving my life to that. I'm running out. I want my life to count. I wasted enough of it when I was a drug addict for 10 years lying on a mattress when the enemy tried to suck the very life out of me. I've wasted enough. In the age I'm either new, I've probably lived longer now than I've got in my future. I want to make it count. It's a waste. Being in a place where there's no joy, no power, no presence. If you give them all tonight, let me just say this to you. And I'm not saying give it all tonight. And I'm not saying, you know, don't go home. I went to India once and I came back and I gave all my derms away and all my shoes away. A week later, I was like, any chance of getting those derms back? I said, no, it's a bit. <laughs> it was a chain reaction. I'm not saying do that. That'd be silly. 
But I'm saying, God, I'm going to let nothing on me. You're my ultimate treasure. I've not got you, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I want to say to you who have been faithful to this house and other houses and in your Christian walk, I want to say this tonight. It wasn't a waste. Let me tell you something. It's never a waste of time worshipping God. Can you say amen? I mean, can you really say amen? Amen. Thank you. Praising God is never a waste. And some of you here have lifted your hands tonight in pain. But I want to tell you, it's not a waste. Giving to God is never a waste. Giving of your substance, giving of your time, giving of your energy. I'll tell you, you give it to everything else. And I'll tell you, in this life it might fade out. But whatever you give to him, I want to tell you, he's going to shoot it into your bank account in heaven. I've told God, keep my rewards in heaven. I'm going to be longer dead than I am alive. Keep them up there. I'm on my way home. Serve them from a pure heart. Serve them from a clean heart. Serve them from a pure heart. Don't date to be seen by men. Don't look for thanks. Don't look for praise. If you get that, it's a bonus. Just serve God with all your heart. And I'll tell you, it will never be a waste. Praying will never be a waste. I don't care if you prayed for five minutes or you're not a great prayer or you just had a groan or a tear run down your your face. Serving God, praying to God is never a waste of time. Thanking him is never a waste. Anybody got something to thank God tonight? Can you go to the bottom of the barrel and say, God, yeah, I'm going through hell, but I can find something every day to say thank you for. I remember when I was the director of Teen Challenge, it was a funny old morning. Um, you know, Phil, Pastor Phil took over from me. But I remember I walked in, got out of my car, and I was walking in through the Teen Challenge Centre, and I remember I'd done this. I just wanted to put my hand on my office door and I thought, here we go again. And the Holy Ghost says, you can change that anytime you want. You know what I've done? I went back into my car, reversed it out a wee bit, reversed it back. back. I, I really did. No, I reversed it out, reversed it back in, opened the door and went, this is phenomenal. <laughs> I went like that. Well, I'm actually not joking. I actually did it. And I put my hand on the handle going into my office and I went, God, Thank you for giving me the privilege of serving you. And I'll tell you, from that day to this, every time I touch that door handle, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Because it could be worse. And the devil jumps on your back and goes, you're wasting your youth, you're wasting your life, you're wasting your money, you're wasting your time. But I'm here to tell you tonight, it's not a waste of time serving Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Don't stop giving. Don't stop sacrificing. Don't stop running. And no, when you get old, be careful. I'll tell you, be careful when you get old. Old people told me this. <laughs> this is what they'll say to you. Not know that you're old, I'm just coming over. <laughs> I just need a couple of bodyguards after the service. If I said... You want to slow down now. You just slow down. 
want to enjoy the end, you know, you, you need to, because, you know, you, you've, come, you've, you've done a lot of running, a lot of work, just calm, calm, calm down, slow down. When, when I watch the Olympics and I see people running, see when they see the line to finish, and they're all running, you don't see them all of a sudden going, ah, oh, there it is. They run faster, and they finish with a stretch. I'm telling you tonight, don't slow down. Unless you've got medical advice. And <laughs> just, just, um, just, just a wee clause in there, a wee written hand, you know, just, just, uh, just do what you're told. But in general, run with all your might. I mean, in one sense, nobody knows if they've got next year, but as you're getting older, you know your mortality. Don't waste your life. Finish really well. You can still make a difference as long as you've still got a voice. Age is nothing to do with it. The question is, are you filled with the Holy Ghost? Billy Graham. I always felt for Billy Graham. When do you stop having crusades? When do you stop when you're getting those level of crowds? What made them? An old man, when everybody was showing videos and disco lights, an old man got up with an overcoat on, filled stadiums, and said, my Bible says. <sighs> Don't stop giving your time. Or you'll get battered on the way. You'll get not appreciated. You'll have a few bumps on the road. And you can sit in the house and tell, ask what everybody's done for, for you or how your life went. Or you can forgive and say, you're not going to stop me. I'm not going to sit here and waste my life on me and pity party. Yes, it's painful, but I'm getting up and I'm going to start serving others. And I'm going to use this because apparently all things work together for the good of those who love God. Joseph why don't you throw in the towel? You've got 14 years. Your brother's spun your life into a control and there's nothing you could do. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse when somebody else puts your life in a spin. And 14 years in prison and he came out, sweet spirit. He said, the devil tried to destroy me. My brothers thought it was a waste. But while I was in a dungeon, I was serving the prisoners. I was serving Potiphar. I just kept serving God. Nothing's going to stop me serving them. Nothing's going to stop me. I'm not going to throw in my towel for anybody. Some of you have had bad experiences. You've threw your towel in. Or you still come to church maybe. You're still lifting. But I'm talking about the dynamic power of serving Christ through the power of the Spirit. Who's going to go back and pick up their towel? And then when you see God, I'm going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And do you know what? Everybody can be great in this house. Young and old, you can be great. Do you know why? Because everybody can serve. I'm almost done now. A true servant does not need praise or recognition from men. If you feed, if you want, if you get your security from getting fed by that, when you don't get it, it's going to absolutely cripple you. Serve him. This woman had reverence, gratitude, not lip service. Lip service wasn't enough. The cheap wasn't enough. The part wasn't enough. The best way to experience everything is to give them everything. And I've got one last scripture, and then we're going to pray. 
and it's found in 1 Corinthians 15. Don't, don't turn there for time. 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 58, it says this. Therefore, my dear brethren, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know, you know your labor is not in vain. Let me tell you this. He was writing to the Corinthian church. He was writing about fornication. He was writing about gossip. He was writing about people drinking. He was writing about all sorts of problems in the church. I mean, when I first, when I first, when I first read the front, the front of the Corinthians, I thought he was writing to a teen challenge center. It's a church. <laughs> He's writing to a messed up church. He's trying to put things in order in a church. And sometimes when you're in the battle all the time and you're fighting and you're fighting and you're fighting, you think, this is a waste of my time. But I want to tell you, listen to God's word to you tonight who have stayed in the midst of, of troubles and hardship and personal pain, family problems or whatever. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. In the midst of it all, your labor, your labor, your labor, your labor, your labor has not been in vain. In other words, he was saying, this has not been a waste. Some of you have wondered, that situation, was that a waste of my life? Was that a waste of my trials? Was that a waste of my time? It looked like you were just in a fight and it was fight, 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 fight. And you go, and, and Paul says, right in the midst of it, your labor has not been in vain. I want to tell you, if you give somebody a cup of water in his name, you're going to get a reward for it. A cup of water. If, you, if all you ever done was give somebody a cup of water, when you stand in front of God, it's not going to be for your son. Do you know what he's going to talk to you about? He's going to give you a reward for that one cup of water. That's the kind of father we've got. He's looking for ways to bless you. You visit me in prison. You speak to the widow and the orphan. If you serve this world, oh listen, they'll ask for your back. They asked for his. He loved them. And look what they've done to him. Even if they put you down, even if they put you in the ground, to be continued. He's coming back. And they think, let me tell you what you don't want to do. Sometimes I, I'm walking in the countryside, I go into gra graveyards, I like them. I mean, I'm not being, what, what I mean by that is I look at the dates and who it was. And, and I took my son through the graveyard once and it says 1886 to 19 whatever. And I said, Ethan, see that dash in the middle? Pay a lot of attention to it, because that's your life. Then I took him around and I said, I said to him, there's buried people, people were buried here, but they were buried with books that should have been written, missionaries that should have went, songs that should have been written, people who should have ran, businesses that should have happened, do not get buried with what God's gave you. Get it out. There's only one way to follow Jesus. Radical. And when I say radical, I don't mean everybody getting up, fondue, praying in tongues. In fact, sometimes 
anyway. <laughs> They're the most unspiritual. What are you going to do with your life? But I want to encourage you who have run so far and run through some stuff. Your labor, not one bit of it, not a jot of it, has been in vain. Every word you've encouraged, thrown us through, some of you'll never see in this end, this side. Only God knows when you go up there what you'll see. But don't, there's lots of people tonight sitting in the house. house. <laughs> oh, yes, I've, I, can speak, I can speak English as well. Lots of people sitting in the house tonight, bitter. Because it never went the way they expected. And it never does. If you're going to follow them, it's a life of inconvenience. I told you this morning, didn't I? I'd love to get a wee cabin. Caravan. I'd be there every month. Throwing a log on. I'm nervous of it because I might not come out. But it all comes down to your love for him. Are you willing to give him everything? And giving him everything is giving him you. He wants you. And he said, I died for you. And I want to tell you, it wasn't a waste. I'd do it all over again. You were worth every drop of my blood. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose. And sometimes life doesn't go the right way. You get it on a sat-nav, didn't you? You go the wrong way and it says, it's okay. I'm a big God. I'm going to reroute you back onto your destination. So be encouraged. Your labor has not been in vain. So whatever you do, don't stop serving. And you're going to have a blessed life. Because whoever wants to be first will be last. And whoever wants to be great will be a servant among you. I don't mind serving some people because they're really lovely. I rest my case. <laughs> it's going that extra mile, isn't it? Who can say tonight, God, I don't know what the future holds, but I know tonight I've heard something from you. All the, all the stuff in the past up to this point, my labor has not been in vain. But I'll tell you this, as I go forward, I'm going to serve you. I, I, I gave my life to you. Use it for your service. Whether it's making tea, whether it's seen, whether it's unseen. To be honest with you, I, I, I didn't know I was going to. I didn't know what to preach. I just wanted a normal life. I don't know what a normal life was, but I mean, this normal life: a house, a wife, a table where you had dinner, and maybe a car. Maybe. Maybe. You know what? I think we think too small. I think God's got warehouses of stuff up there that nobody wants. And he goes, if somebody can just believe me, I'm going to open the warehouse. I can flood your life with so much blessing. You won't be able to contain it. It will be crushed down and running over. That's me. Finished. Don't waste your life. And pouring it on him will never. Oh, you, you might be lonely. Oh, I can't promise you an easy life. Bed of roses and all that. Bed of roses. You ever, you ever run through a bed of roses? 
That's what they say. Oh, if you serve them, you'll have a light. your life will be a bed of roses. I thought I ran through one. I did. And a guy in a black and white suit was chasing me. I'll tell you, the two of us, the two of us went through it. I wasted my life on drinking drugs, and I thought, if I find this woman, if I get this drug, if I get the ultimate high, and I'll tell you, the thing I thought brought me happiness sucked the very life at me. 28 years ago, God picked me up, and I'm here today, and a great cloud of witnesses run us. I want to tell you, it's never a waste. You're going to go through some stuff. When you go through the fire, I'll be with you. But just keep on serving, keep on loving, keep on giving, and run with all your might, because this is absolutely worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.